Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the host that is not only a legend in his own mind, he now wants to be referred to as the Sultan of Briere. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you for the second week in a row, pre-recorded. Yes, but I will be home next week, and we'll be back to our... uh, Hopefully normal schedule, we'll see how the jet lag does me in. But anyway, all right, in tonight's show, I'm going to talk about um, two people of, uh, two pipe smokers of the past, one one famous and one um, uh, kind of a cult hero. So (laughs) it's a pair that I would never think would go together and uh, didn't really know about one of them until a couple weeks ago. Uh, Then uh, in, uh, so in pipe parts, we got those two in... My guest is pre-recorded from the Chicago Pipe Show. It is Antoine Grenade of the Chacombe or Chapuis Camoy Company of Saint Claude, France. Again, this was pre-recorded at the Chicago Pipe Show, and I'll apologize again for the audio quality. I did everything that I could to fix it and, and make it as easy to listen to as possible. But there's a there's a lot of history there. And uh, his family's been involved in it since uh, since the beginning, so we got all that to look forward to. Uh, then we've got music, and instead of the mailbag, I've got uh, an answer to a question that popped up on the forums a couple weeks back. And uh, rant, all that coming up, hey, on tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, so if you're uh, if you want to follow me on Facebook. Check me out. I'm posting pictures on the trip and doing all that so you get to see some of what I'm doing. Uh, Not too much. I'm not going to flood you with pictures of every meal that I've had and every place that I've gone to the bathroom and, uh, you know, all that. Just some of the the more uh, interesting things I'll put up there. But, all right, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. All right, for uh, for for both of our pipe smokers, we go to uh, the United Kingdom, and the first one we'll talk about is A. A. Milne, Alan Alexander Milne, born in uh, Kilburn, London, and is uh, most notably known as the creator of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Milne grew up with uh, his father ran this ran the small public school that he went to. Where uh, one of his teachers was was H. G. Wells, and then uh, Milne went on to attend Westminster School and Trinity College in Cambridge, where he studied on a mathematics scholarship with and got a degree in mathematics. Uh, he uh, went into the army in, in World War One, and then served as an officer in the uh, British Army in World War Two. Um, after the war, he wrote a denunciation of war titled The, the Peace with Honor, which he retracted somewhat in the 1940s War with Honor. So after World War I, he didn't like it. After World War II, or, yeah, he, or, uh, he quickly figured out that, you know, sometimes it's necessary. Um, so Milne married uh, Dorothy 
they sell in court in 1913, and their son, Christopher Robin Milne, was born in 1920. In 1925, Milne brought home, bought a, a country home in East Sussex, and uh, the stories of uh, Christopher Robin and uh, this wonderful little bear were uh, then told and written down. And uh, it was originally a collection of short stories, and thus was uh, Winnie the Pooh was born in 1925. Uh, Milne was a lifelong pipe smoker, although not too much is known about his pipe smoking, but uh, he did uh, he did idolize uh, J.M. Barry and uh, some of the contemporaries of his time. Um, Milne did some adaptations and uh, did a lot of playwriting in particular. The one that I would have loved to have seen was The uh, Wind in the Willows. And uh, he did that as Toad Hall, and that's the uh, famous Mr. Toad. So that would have been uh, that would have been great to see. A.A. Um, a. Milne is one of the few that, uh, yeah, his family still technically owns the rights to all that. And then uh, finally, in two thousand and one, the uh, Winnie the Pooh was sold to the Disney Corporation for about uh, three hundred and fifty million dollars. So his uh, his uh, beneficiaries did uh, fairly well off of that little uh, tubby bear stuffed with fluff. Um, the other one is an actress born in 1949 in England, and her name is Caroline Munro. Uh, many of you may recognize uh, Caroline from the bit parts that she had in the original Casino Royale. Uh, she did a couple of other little Bond spots, but then she kind of became a cult, got a cult following in uh, Hammer Hammer Films, a British film company, and they were horror films, or um, what we would have considered B-movies here. Uh, she's the long-legged, good-looking lady of the early 70s that was the uh, victim of several several of these movies. Um, She was... uh, She was just... uh, That was her style. Uh, She kept acting into the 70s and 80s and uh, currently is still doing some stuff where she'll show up in some smaller movies... Uh, as either a voice actor or still uh, working as an actress. But um, she's developed quite a cult following, and there's a couple of uh, good-looking pictures of her on the Internet where she is actually smoking a pipe. Don't know if it's actually for stage, but I thought the fact that you know here's a cult horror movie actress that uh, still has a following, still does some of the... Uh, some of the uh, Comic-Con style uh, conventions in England, and she's still involved in the arts, uh, and at one point was uh, in a couple of Bond movies. <laughs> there you go. You have A.A. A. Milne on one side and Caroline Munro on the other side. If you want to look up Caroline's stuff, her last name is spelled M-U-N-R-O. All right, in uh, just a minute, we'll have my uh, conversation that I recorded with Antoine from Chapuis Camoy or the Chacon Pipe Factory. <laughs> 
This is Internet Radio. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, once again, let me apologize for the sound quality. Uh, And I did my best to fix it and clean it up the most possible. But here is uh, me sitting down with Antoine. So I am sitting with Antoine Grunaud. Was that good? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, You are the um, owner, managing director of the Chacombe Pipe Factory? Chapuis Camoy. Chapuis Camoy. Yeah, Chapuis Camoy. Can you give us the uh, give us the history of the company? How how far does it go back? So the company started by the Camoy family in 1825 in a little village up to Saint Claude. So it's before the Briar coming to Saint Claude. So uh, the family Camoy start in 1825 and after that uh, they joined Saint Claude downtown to make a bigger factory and Henri Comoy start meeting their cousin the Chapuis and become after Chapuis Comoy in uh, 1922 so before the before the briar they were using boxwood many boxwood yeah in yeah, because uh, the it was the local local wood. Because of course we cannot find briar in uh, Jura in Saint Claude. Uh, briar is uh, located around Mediterranean Sea, so they start making pipes from uh, boxwood. And after in 1856, the Comoy family start making pipes in briar. Do you know why they found briar or how they chose briar or who was the first one to decide that this root burns better than anything? Uh, there is many stories about that. So, some, some people say that uh, in the delivery of wood they find some briar like that, just, just like that, and uh, they finally find that uh, the briar is much better than to smoke uh, uh, compared to the boxwood. So, yeah. So, in Saint Claude is, of course, the birthplace of the modern briar pipe, and yeah. the company has been there ever consistently since then, or did it move to England? So, the Henri Comoy is a, is a guy who, who, who emigrated to London to, to build a pipe factory. That's funny because uh, Comoy, Henri Comoy yeah. is a French guy, went to England and make a pipe factory. With the, with the name of the Comoys of London, which, which sounds really English, <laughs> but it's a French name. 
So and Henri Comoy, so there were two two factories at that, that time. So there were the French uh, in Saint Claude, the French company Chapuis Comoy, and the Comoy factory in London. So they were very close. Some bolts were turning in Saint Claude and shipped to to London. And uh, yeah, there's many exchange between both uh, factories. So the French are responsible for beginning the pipe factory business in England. Yes, exactly. And we don't want, and the English don't want to talk about that. I don't think so. No. Oh. <laughs> when did when did your family get involved with the company? Um, in fact, it's it's um, my fa- my grandfather is a cousin of the Comoy people, and uh, and then my grandfather never worked for for Comoys. They asked him many times to work with them, but uh, he didn't want to to work in the pipe, and um, and and my father compared to my grandfather. So he was very connected with the cousin of Comois. So he went when he was young, it was uh, 20 year, 22 years old, he went to London, to the Comois factory, to practice his, his English. So he really, he really enjoyed the, he really enjoyed the, the work of, uh, of the pipe and so on. So when he came back in Saint Claude, he bought, he bought the factory in Saint Claude. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And uh, he bought this factory in 1970, end of 1970. He bought the company because at that time the, the Comois family had sold um, the group, the, the, the factory in, um, in London and in St. Claude to uh, Oppenheimer. So it was, it was not anymore uh, in the family during a few, a few years. So, and uh, and the, the English didn't want anymore the, the factory in St. Claude. So my father bought the company. He bought the f- company. Uh, he was 28 years old, so he took back the, the <laughs> took the family business back. Took the family business back, yeah. And then somewhere down the road, he had a family himself. <laughs> yeah. So were you born? You were born after he bought the factory. Yes, I was born in 1977, and um, and uh, yeah, and. Uh, f- and it's funny because uh, he started making uh, some uh, pipe of the year for Chacom in 1978, and uh, I think it's it's, uh, it's a kind of uh, <laughs> does my, it's a kind of my line. <laughs> does it come out on your birthday every year? No, 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 no. no. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, when you were young, did you come and work in the factory during school after yeah. school and? I, I, yeah, I was very often in the factory uh, since I'm, I'm a child, and uh, of course I, I spent many summer summer holidays working in the factory. Step by step, I, I I've done many things: ball turning, sandpapering, and uh, yeah, it was part of. Uh, I, I'm born yeah. in the pipe uh, pipe business. So. And then just recently, you moved into a bigger, newer building. It's not bigger. It's yeah. it's, it's much smaller. <laughs> no, it's much smaller because uh, the building in Saint Claude, uh, where we were a few uh, two years ago, uh, was built for 250 workers, and uh, and this building was very very old, with di- very uh, with many many l- floors, and uh, uh, and it was very complicated to to accede. 
to work uh, with uh, now you are 22 so it's very difficult to eat uh, so I decided to, to move in a better place on one floor uh, br not not brand new but nearly brand new and uh, we opened also uh, a shop and a kind of museum showing uh, how we make the pipes and uh, telling uh, the story about the company Wow so does in your in your factory do uh, do different people do different jobs on the pipe yes it's not at the it's not like it used to be in the past where people were only doing some papering and but uh, now the people are more polyvalent so they, they sand paper they make the stamping they make some they bend the mouse pieces but yeah we try to uh, and I think it's more interesting for the for the worker to make several steps of the pipe instead of making only some papering uh, now, what brands do you make in the Chacombe factory? Because I know there's one important one that you have now again. So, um, you have to know that uh, in uh, it's the uh, beginning of the 90s, my father and many pipe, smoke, pipe makers in Saint-Claude, like uh, Dominique Gentet, uh, Bernard Villard, and uh, Jean-Charles Lacroix, and, and Romain Morel, they, they, the, f the four, the five of us, of them, they had uh, their own pipe factory, and they grouped together to become uh, one, one strong company. So that's why now we we are still selling and making some uh, rub pipe, Jante pipe, VR pipe. We don't make any more Lacroix, and. Um, yeah, we have, we still have uh, six brands we own, and then you make pipes for some other some other brands yeah, that we we make pipes for many many brands in the in the pipe world. So if I wanted to come out with my own brand of pipe, I could come to Saint Claude of and course. sit down with you, and then we we make uh, many private label. Uh, of course, uh, people know that we make uh, Brigham pipes for the Canadian. Yeah. We make some, some Rattrace pipes, some of the Rattrace pipes, and many, many other brands for Scandinavian, from, uh, from uh, English people, from US, for, yeah, many brands. So if I, if I come to St. Cloud and I go to the store that's got the, the museum, will I, do you have pipes from all different times of... Yes. Yes, we... we uh, I, I was lucky to, to, to get uh, the history of the company by the pipe we, we get. Sadly, we get sto uh, stole many years ago a very nice collection of pipes, but we still have a lot of pipes uh, showing the, 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 the knowledge of the, our workers from, uh, from 1825. Wow. Has the, has the size of the pipes changed that you make? Did they start out small and now you make a larger size on average? I, th I think the, the, in the past there were all kind of size. Very small bowls. But the, the main thing was changed. It's um, the, in the 1920s it was mostly it was 90% of straight pipes. And, uh, and now it's, it's 
it's completely different that uh, we sell more bent pipes than straight pipes and uh, but we have we have tons of, uh, of balls of straight pipes and with a small chamber yeah. and then of course you always sometimes find extra balls laying around that <laughs> we've oh. heard yeah. we've heard make some wonderful pipes that show up occasionally yeah we we, we love to 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 take some uh, very old balls and uh, fitting them with uh, nice model species and uh, and make a, a nice vintage pipe where we also have a very uh, old uh, horn mouthpieces because Jante factory was very famous to 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 turn the horn mouthpieces they start making the horn mouthpieces so I get a stock of, of a lot <laughs> of mouthpieces and uh, and now we because it's very rare to find a horn mouthpiece now uh, so so we we make vintage pipe with vintage balls and vintage mouthpiece and then i always see you here at the chicago pipe show then i see you at the ipcpr mm -hmm. and then dortmund where else do you you travel all over the world yeah of course we it's not in staying in Senko that we will sell pipes, so yeah, we tra I, tra I try to travel uh, as much as I can, but I would like to travel more because we, we sell pipes in 40 different countries, and uh, I would love to visit them all, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm doing uh, two shows in, in Germany, so Frankfurt Fair in February, uh, Chicago, uh, IPCPR of course, and Dortmund show, and, uh, and beside that, I try to to travel uh, in China once a year, in Japan, and um, do different countries like different styles of pipes or finishes? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, some some countries like a shiny pipe. Some countries like a, a very matte pipe. And also, you have uh, some countries we, we who, who still like this, mainly the straight pipe, like uh, Switzerland and Belgium. It's the only both countries that uh, we can still sell a lot of straight pipe compared to the, all the rest of the, the world. So you have to have not in in your in your factory in Saint Claude. You have to have everything that the whole world wants. Yeah, yeah. We we are in. Which, which is good that we, we, we turn everything. So we turn the, the mouse pieces by themselves, we turn the balls, so, and um, we turn the mouse pieces from acrylic or for, from uh, uh, Cumberland. Uh, <coughs> so it makes uh, so many opportunities for us to, to make uh, a fitting and a uh, nice wedding between the, the color of the mouse piece and the color of the balls because we also make our, our proper um, finishes all the colors are made by ourselves, and uh, we fix them. Um, we fix them. Uh, we we can do whatever we want uh, as color. When you when you do the, the the staining, are those stains made by you, or do you yes. buy? So you mix them yourselves yes. to create the different. Yeah, we colors. have we have a powder, a color color powder, and uh, that we mix together to wow to to make a color, and. Uh, some powder are here since uh, I never bought them. <laughs> so, and I think my father didn't buy uh, anything. So, 
And we will take a break right here for just a minute and be back with more of Antoine. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenay's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show, and now back to the hotel room in Chicago with uh, me and Antoine. If you run out of the powder, do you know where to go to buy more? No idea. You're in trouble. I am in trouble. Then you just have to drink some wine and worry about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, uh, of course, uh, we will find um, another way. We, all, we have to, we always have to find a... Uh, new finishes, it's always uh, what we, we want to do and to create uh, new colors and uh, new wedding between uh, mouse, yeah, mouthpiece and balls. Is, uh, is getting enough briar for you, is that hard sometimes or? No, 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 briar is not complicated to get uh, at the moment. Maybe we buy mainly our briar from Italy, yeah. Since uh, since uh, around 15 years now, we exclusively uh, buy the briar from Italy. In the past, we used to buy briar from uh, Morocco, Maroc, uh, or Algerian briar. Uh, but now it's yeah, exclusively from Italy. Former French territories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you when you get the briar, do you have to sort it based off of the size of the block? And save the big blocks for the longer pipes and yes, of course. But uh, we can order uh, diff we order briar mostly by different sizes. So uh, we 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 buy briar by by bags. So in the bags can be uh, ten dozen of big uh, big ebochon or twenty five dozen of smaller ebochon. And some are for straight pipes, some are for bent pipes. So yeah. wow. So you have to have some storage space too. No, yeah, we, yes, we have a special uh, storage for the briar, and we have a, dry, uh, a natural dryer. So that, that means that uh, when you get the dryer, we put we we put all the briar on the, on the clay on the on the on the piece of wood. It's a, it's a, like a chalet, open air, and uh, it takes a minimum of uh, of one year and a half to to dry the briar. So we need a, quite a huge stock to. To have the channel. And you're up in the mountains where you get some snow. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. The snow is not a problem. His backyard is a, is a ski chalet. I've <laughs> seen pictures of his backyard with, <laughs> covered with snow, so I know that. <laughs> so, yeah, um, 
the only thing is, is to to have the dry um, dry hair so the best way to dry the briar is to to have some wind and uh, dry wind it's a dry wind and it doesn't matter how cold it is yes and doesn't if you get too cold you just drink some more wine <laughs> yeah or whiskey i am uh, wine first yeah <laughs> whiskey when the wine is gone um what is a, a, a so your your job is to oversee the entire operation but some days you might have to go down there and help select with parts and yes of course um you know it's uh 22 workers now when when you have one or two people out uh, for uh, for whatever so you have to give a hand of course but uh, uh, I, I love to take care of uh, what we make and uh, uh, I do a lot of sandblasting too and uh, sometimes the fitting and not anymore the ball turning because I have two guys which are which are good uh, but of course uh, I love to to check everything to, to to see if the pipes are made properly and uh, checking the details. And keeping an eye on everybody all at the same time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, I really trust about my workers. I, have a, I trust really my, my workers. And, uh, and it's like, uh, you know, many people uh, uh, are still here and know him since I am uh, I'm a child. So that's funny. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we have uh, some people with a lot of experience and some other people, some new workers that uh, I'm glad uh, to get them uh, and we train them uh, uh, is, is it For you, is it difficult to get a young worker interested in coming in and working in a pipe factory or...? Yeah, it's always... Yeah, it's, a, it's really a special uh, handwork. So... So yeah, it's difficult to find people interested by uh, by this kind of uh, of work, and especially for the sandpapering because uh, it's something uh, you have uh, in your hands or you don't have. So you have to test uh, many people before getting the right person. If you get if if you get a worker in uh, that's doing the sanding and finishing how many years or, or how much training time before they are good enough to do it themselves it depends of the of the, of the person but uh, some papering can take uh, to make to make all the shapes it can take six seven 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 eight years to be able to to polish everything all kind of shapes. So that's an expensive experiment. If yes, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, that's that's why we. I have no way to um, to employ somebody for one or two years. So I have to to put uh, to put some money on the people who right. who will stay here. So that's that's the worst uh, part of the job. But so if sales start to go crazy and people are buying pipes all the time from yeah. you it may take you five or six years to catch up to oh yeah I, I, if uh, if we sell uh, I don't know hundred thousand pipes this year and we need to make two two hundred thousand next year it's impossible we are yeah. not able to do that uh, if we come to St. Claude is there besides your store and the museum is there other pipe related things to see of course First, you have uh, the biggest pipe in the world, in the center of Saint Claude, 
then people can take picture in front of that. And uh, you have the Pipe and Diamond Museum, because uh, St. Claude is known for pipe, but also for diamond. So there's a reason to bring your wife too. <laughs> yes, it may be yes. she may spend more on diamonds oh, yeah. than you spend on pipes. But. And of course, you have uh, some other pipe uh, factory. So you still have Bichacan and also uh, Genot. But that's they're much smaller. And Bichacan is, is is quite the same uh, same uh, amount of people in a in a factory. And uh, Genot is uh, yeah, it's a very small workshop. There are only two people. But the real question is, is when you're in Saint Claude, is there any place to get some good bread and maybe some good cheese oh, and some good wine? You are in France. Is there any place <laughs> to get good Italian wine in Saint Claude? No. Oh, no, okay. it's well, better to go to. Yeah. Uh, from where? Where is the? If I'm going to travel to Saint Claude, what is the what's the best city to fly into? Geneva, Geneva, Geneva. Uh, yeah, you fly to Geneva, and uh, it takes an hour and fifteen minutes to drive by the mountains. And don't come during the winter time because of the yeah, mountain. Yeah, roads. if you like skiing, no problem. No problem. No problem. So we can go skiing in the afternoon, and then uh, you can go skiing in the morning. And then you make pipes in the afternoon. <laughs> I'd rather make pipes in the morning and then go skiing in the afternoon. Uh, it's in winter, it's too too dark. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's also the home of the Conferie? Of course, yeah. The Conferie is, uh, uh, has been uh, created in 1966 by, uh, by uh, an old uh, French uh, president of the Assembly, uh, Edgar Faure. And uh, the 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 thing was to um, to to bring more um, interest uh, about the pipe of Saint Claude in uh, introducing uh, pipe smokers during the year uh, with all the pipe makers making a big ceremony uh, and uh, we have a special event every year with. Uh, Premier fumeur, first uh, smoker, French smokers, who was uh, who was a famous guy in France mainly, and uh, they were they were making a lot of articles in the, in the in the press related uh, to uh, to Saint-Claude and uh, and the pipe smoking. But now it's not really uh, we have some difficulties to find uh, famous people. Wanted to be <laughs> to be shown with the pipe, yeah. But the corfery is still there, and we introduce every year uh, French foreigners uh, all around the world, and uh, and we like to we love to keep the the spirit uh, about the corfery. Uh, how is the? Uh, it, are you able to smoke inside of a restaurant in Saint Claude? No, or? it depends. <laughs> It depends. No, during the yeah, only during the conferry meetings we we are able to smoke in the restaurant. We are able to smoke in in the museum, and uh, but no. But otherwise, it's on otherwise the, it's the sidewalk. Allowed. Yeah. And then you sit there quietly and enjoy your coffee, and mm. and they have chocolate shaped uh, chocolate <laughs> pipes. No, they, it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> Stop. You can have it. 
Now, everybody that comes on the show gets the Fast Five final questions. Very simple. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite pipe? Billiard. And what is your favorite tobacco? Uh, Latakia. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite drink? Mm. Whiskey. From a Frenchman saying whiskey, that sounds yeah, but it's, difficult. Uh, for me, uh, wine, I would say red, red wine, but for me it's not a drink. It's like... Uh, it's like water. It's like water for, <laughs> for us. So, of course, we drink... Okay, let me let me change that question a little bit just for you. Is there a type of French wine that you particularly like? The Jura wine. Say that again. So the Jura wine. It's a white wine. Uh, they also have red wine, but it's uh, it's a wine very special uh, that we make in our own um, own uh, area close to Saint Claude. So it's. It's not very popular uh, outside France, but uh, it's a really good wine. Because you're in the Jura Mountains. And it's really good with uh, cheese, the local cheese as well. Mm. Now I'm getting hungry. Um, you have young children, so what do you like to do when you relax and when you're not working? <laughs> I try to go skiing when I find some time and when I find so, some snow as well. Yeah. And then the last question that I'll ask you is, do you have a favorite pipe smoking memory of your father oh yes yes it was in US <laughs> in a restaurant where it was still allowed to smoke but not really allowed because uh, uh, my father was smoking a pipe in a restaurant in New York and uh, the waiter or the waitress uh, asked, asked my, my father to not smoke a pipe you're allowed to smoke a cigarette, but you are not allowed to smoke a pipe. So he decided he take his pack uh, because he was smoking also cigarette gitane, <laughs> and um, he took twenty, yeah, nearly twenty cigarettes all together, and he smoked them all <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, love the French. Antoine, merci beaucoup. Yeah, merci. Merci à toi. <laughs> and there you go, my conversation with Antoine sitting in the uh, hotel room at Chicago. So I told you I was busy doing stuff for you guys. Uh, again, if you had a problem, if you had problems hearing it, listen to it over again on the podcast. It'll be uh, it'll be up there for years to come. Meet Josh. Everyone at smokingpipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes. I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are Smoking Pipes.
Com. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, uh, you know, as I was sitting there listening to that again and thinking that it takes Antoine at least a couple of years, sometimes up to five or six, to find out if an employee is going to be any good. I mean, that kind of that kind of dedication to a choice of an employee is only what you see in Europe. In the United States, we wouldn't tolerate that for six weeks. So... All right, for music, if I can get the information in front of me correctly, we are going to have a uh, French lady by the name of Annie Barrier, and uh, she's a French singer from the 1940s, 1950s, um, kind of in the uh, in the easy uh, the jazz style uh, from Paris. Sings in French smoked a pipe and claimed that pipe smoking was better for singers because it was easier on the throat than cigarettes. And I'm going to mispronounce the name of this song possibly, but it's called La Chanson du Nil. And here's Annie. Dans mon cœur, la chanson de mon seul bonheur, c'est la chanson du Nil. Dans les palmiers, les oiseaux par milliers égrènent leur doux babille. C'est la chanson du Nil. Paillettes d'or, des sables de Luxor, où flotte un parfum subtil. C'est la chanson du Nil, c'est la chanson d'espoir. Que chante sur la rive, une femme craintive, se glissant aux lueurs du soir. Mirent leur divin profil, vieuse chanson du Nil, présent du ciel, dont le cœur paternel adoucit le sombre exil. Douce chanson du Nil, douce chanson d'Isis, la déesse Le Nil, tu comprendras l'amour. 
Si tu vois le Nil un seul jour, tu rêveras toujours de la chanson du Nil, de sa chanson d'amour. If you want to look more into Ani, it's A-N-N-Y-B-E-R-R-Y-E-R. And again, uh, 1940s, 1950s. What's this? A letter for me. Russ Hicks uh, sent me a link to a article from, uh, uh, the website is called firstthings.com. And an article written in 1997 by Michael P. Foley. The, the article is called Tobacco and the Soul. And uh, here's what it says. It's kind of interesting. I thought I'd read it for you. The current brouhaha over smoking has made everyone painfully aware of tobacco's effects on the body. But it has also obscured a more profound reason for smoking's popularity. Its relation to the soul. As the heyday of smoking passes into the ash heap of history, it is, met, it is met that we reflect on this connection. The soul, of course, is a complex thing. Long ago, Plato suggested that we consider it as divided into three parts. The appetive, spirited, and rational that correspond to the three basic kinds of human desires. The desire to satisfy physical appetites, the desire for recognition, and the desire for truth. Once this tripartite division is recalled, tobacco's relation to the soul becomes clear. The three prevalent types of smoking, tobacco, cigarettes, cigars, and pipes, correspond to the three parts of the soul. Cigarettes correspond to the appetite part of the soul, a fact that explains their association with both food and sex. The connection with the latter is particularly obvious. Think of the proverbial uh, post-coital cigarette or the ubiquity of cigarettes at singles bars. I'll pass on the rest of that because it just talks more about cigarettes and being inhaled. Um, cigars, on the other hand, correspond to the spirited part of the soul. This explains their traditional popularity among men seeking honor or reputation, politicians, executives, etc. The reason for this correspondence can be found in the similarity between cigars and ambition. A cigar is visually impressive. With its large size and great billows of smoke, it often leaves a greater impact on the spectator than on the smoker. Further, a cigar is phallic, not with regard to male lust, but male power. And I'll uh, just put in there that uh, you know must be some reason why I don't like large cigars. <laughs> anyway, we'll skip ahead on the uh, cigar part because it goes on and talks about ambition and da 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 da. Uh, and then finally, the pipe corresponds to the rational part of the soul which explains why we tend to picture wise figures smoking pipes. The Oxford Don surrounded by his great books or Sherlock Holmes who in Doyle's original stories actually smoked other sorts of tobacco as well, yet is almost always portrayed with a pipe. Unlike cigars and cigarettes, a pipe endures. Similarly, the questions of the philosopher far outlast the passing concerns of physical desires on the one hand and human ambitions on the other. 
Further, while the cigar is entirely masculine, the pipe has both masculine and feminine elements, the stem and the bowl. This corresponds to the philosopher's activity, which is both masculine and feminine. Masculine in its pursuit of lady truth, feminine in its reception of anything that she discloses. Finally, the effect that the pipe has on others is analogous to the effect of philosophizing. The sweet fragrance of a pipe, like good philosophy, is a blessing to all who are near. I'd like to get that tattooed on my forehead when people are complaining about smoke. Um, then he goes on to write, It is fitting that all three kinds of smoking tobacco involve the use of fire, for each relates to the soul's responsiveness to reason and fire, at least from the days of Prometheus, is especially emblematic of reason. But there are also non-human parts to the human soul. The growth of our hair and fingernails, for example, is due, due to the soul's activity, yet it is not responsible to rational instruction. The use of tobacco does not involve fire, therefore somehow corresponds to those non-human, or more acutely subhuman, uh, subhuman parts of the soul. Chewing tobacco, for example, is quintessential subhuman activity. It's like the rumination of bovine men, or perhaps we should say it is camel-like, for camels not only chew but spit as well. Uh, snuff, too, would fall into this category, but with some minor differences. First, because it's not so disgusting, it would have the same negative connotations as chew. Uh, second, snuff taken through the nose would fall under a different category. Everything else we've seen involves the mouth, and this is and this is only natural for the mouth was made to receive things into itself, but to sniff something up one's nose, this is unnatural. Uh, a question remains, however, about smoking non-tobacco. One candidate immediately comes to mind because it's like tobacco, it's a natural leaf. Marijuana is also noteworthy because it is used in the same ways as smoking tobacco. The key to the differences between the two is how each one affects the smoker. Tobacco, whether in a cigarette, cigar, or a pipe, leads to conversation, loosening the tongue just enough to incline it towards speaking, but not enough to disconnect it from the brain. Marijuana, on the other hand, does not keep this balance. Loosening the tongue only to have it reel from rational thought, it does not, it does not truly facilitate conversation, drawing the smoker into himself, not outwards, as does all good conversation, and dumbing down any speech that is uttered. Thus, the appearance of conversation can be created, but it is usually only that an appearance. Uh, marijuana is therefore a charlatan weed, an imposter that apes its distant relative tobacco in a shallow and perverse way. I'll just say right now that the rest of the article goes on for a while, but I really like the one part about pipes, and apparently this uh, author is not a big fan of um, either marijuana or uh, spit or chewing tobacco. Um, he, he concludes it with, It should also be no surprise in this pipeless age that the ferocious battle over tobacco has missed the real point about its addictive power. Tobacco holds sway over the soul as much as it does the body. The qualities it takes in its various forms make it a near-irresistible complement to the particular desire dominant in the individual soul. How we, how we react to these forms, 
says as much about our attitude towards those desires as it does towards the weed itself. And uh, Michael P. Foley at that, po- at that time was a doctoral candidate in theology at Boston College, and uh, he's completing his uh, dissertation on St. Augustine. I'm going to try to find him and see if we can get him on the show. And then one other thing that popped up, and it's uh, from two weeks ago, the uh, the episode with uh, with Todd Bannard on. Um, there were some questions back and forth on how to listen to the show. And a Pipes Magazine forum member named Jay, uh, his uh, screen name is Ma Nam's Myth, uh, wrote uh he got some help on how to on how to play the podcast and then he says i went back and found the link you showed alas i found i could only endure the podcast for a whole seven minutes before i got bored clearly listening to podcasts just isn't for me question why is it called a radio show when no radio is involved in either transmission or reception Mady Levine even says thanks for tuning in, though I never was anywhere near my radio. <laughs> Regards, Jay. Um, first of all, Jay, let me say if you're not listening, which you're probably not, um, podcasts don't have to be for everybody. You know what? It's a whole different kind of, uh, you know, an audio-only show is just that. It's audio-only, and it's a chance for you to sit back and listen to something if you want to close your eyes or uh, do whatever you want to do. And if it's not for you, hey, that's fine too. That's why there's uh, YouTube and other video channels and stuff like that. The uh, question of why is it called a radio show? I don't know if I've ever really talked about this on the Pipes Magazine radio show. But the idea was, originally, and if you go back to the first five or six episodes, the idea was to have a 45-minute to an hour-long show that was kind of reminiscent of the old uh, of the old radio shows however the format is purely the uh, the tonight show and the late show um, if you also notice it was a little edgier more FM style radio and then we quickly learned that that's not what people wanted so we tuned it down a little bit and uh, cut out a lot of the uh, blue and uh, poo poo words as much as possible however they still slip in um, but no, the idea was to uh, take you back to a time when, in the 1930s, when everybody used to gather around the radio. In the 1940s, you'd gather around the radio for an hour of just sitting there and listening to something that uh, you know didn't require your eyes to work and didn't require you to uh, focus on a uh, flashing screen. It was just the idea is to take you back to the old days. So that's kind of why the uh, the train sounds and then modernize it a little bit with some uh with some music that's a little upbeat so there you go um cosmic um michael johnson went on and wrote uh, afterwards uh, seven minutes barely gets you past the introduction i find brian levine to be to be hysterical and he does a great job of getting guests to open up and get comfortable in the discussion uh, I haven't listened to this one yet. I've just been busy lately, but maybe try a past show. Many of the questions that come up here on the forums could be answered at length in the shows. But if you don't like it, I suggest quietly just reserving your... Yeah, anyway. No, it's fine. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. He didn't say it was bad. He just said it wasn't for him. Anyway, um, 
And uh, thank you, Michael. I do try to make the uh, the guests on the show just come on and talk to us. All right. In just a minute, rant time. show listeners to unplug unplug from all electronics for an hour a week yes this is uh, counterintuitive to what we do here at the pipes magazine radio show but it's also part of what i was trying to explain to my kids age 25 and 19 as we get as we're getting ready to leave for this trip uh, one of the things I wanted, the, I want everybody to do is to just unplug for an hour and kind of be in that space. Uh, get your get your faces out of little flashy screens. Get your faces out of TVs. Get your head out of earphones, and unplug for an hour a week. We as pipe smokers, it's summertime. You know what? Get outside and unplug with your pipe. Just go sit in a place and watch the people go by. If you can't stand that and you really need to do something else besides just being in the space and sitting there and watching what's going on, bring a book or a magazine. Bring something that is not a flashy screen or a noisy thing in your head or something that is just eye candy. Bring a magazine. Pick out a book. We've mentioned numerous authors on the uh, Pipes Magazine radio show over the years we've mentioned uh numerous books and magazines that you can pick up read something pipe related read something non-pipe related but get out and get unplugged from all these electronics for at least an hour a week and just be in that space yeah grab your pipe sit down with a cup of coffee or your favorite drink or whatever it is and just kind of be there. Just watch the world go by and be in that space and get away from all these electronic things that are that are zapping our attention away from us on a daily basis. All right, once again, I'll be back next week with a live show. So uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Antoine for uh, joining us. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Absolutely no performance enhancing drugs were used in the performance of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Can't you tell?